0: Friends, today we are continuing in our sermon series as we've been in Advent. We have been going with the theme of all is calm, all is bright. And the reason why we have that theme this season is because we have not experienced a lot of calm and a lot of bright over the last year and a half. And yet God is the one who continually brings us calmness, brightness, joy, hope, love, and peace into our lives. And so as we are in our Advent waiting and we're reflecting on that coming Christ child into our lives, we want to consider where are those places where calmness, where brightness, where hope is being made known. Maybe we, maybe it's been there all along and we just haven't seen it. Or maybe we need it in a new way this season. But how is it that we can perceive that gift that God gives us in a way that is lasting and satisfying? So we have been in Isaiah 40 throughout um, Advent. We'll be with Isaiah 40 until we get to Christmas Eve. These are the words of Isaiah to the nation of Israel. And this is when the nation of Israel has just been kicked out of their home. They are living as exiles. They feel like God is not there for them. They are sort of a little lost at sea. And this is what the prophet says to them. He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants Are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power. Not one is missing. Friends, let's pray. God, we want to have an experience with you that feels filling and satisfying, life-giving, that stops our scrambling to experience something that just takes the pain away momentarily. We pray that as we worship you this morning, that you will open our hearts and open our ears, open our hands, so that we might experience the Spirit to the fullest extent being transformed to the fullest extent and being used as agents of transformation in our community and beyond to the fullest extent. It's an eternal word we look for today, not a human one. So may your voice be the one that lingers in our hearts. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you were given the choice of having something now or receiving something later that's better, Which do you tend to choose? If you are upset or discontent or bored, will you take the first thing that comes to your attention and hope that it will make you feel better? Or are you inclined maybe to wait and to see if there's something more satisfying that comes along to really address that emotion that you are dealing with, to really speak to it for the long term? In 1970, Stanford professor Walter Mischel began an experiment that measured this very thing. It was measuring our human tendency to take something lesser now, even when something better is on the table for later. It's since become known as the marshmallow experiment. Maybe you've heard of it. This experiment began by bringing a child between the ages of three and five into a private room, sitting them down in a chair and placing a marshmallow on the table in front of them. The researcher would then offer a deal to that child. The child was told that if the researcher was going to have to leave the room for 10 minutes and that if the child did not eat the marshmallow while they were alone, then the child would be rewarded with a second marshmallow when the researcher returned. However, if the child decided to eat that first marshmallow before the researcher came back, then they would not get a second marshmallow. So the choice was fairly simple, one treat now or two treats later. Then the researcher left the room for 10 minutes. Now you can imagine the observational footage of those children who were left waiting in that room alone, can't you? Many of the kids immediately ate that first marshmallow within 30 seconds of that researcher leaving. Others would do all that they could do to distract themselves from the marshmallow. So they would bounce in their seats, or they would scoot along their chair, or they would start singing to themselves. The majority of them just simply covered their eyes so they couldn't see the marshmallow anymore. Out of all of the children who made the effort to resist the marshmallow, only about half of them succeeded. So put all together together. A third of them ate the marshmallow within 30 seconds of, being, of having the researcher leave the room. About a third of them ate that treat within, they resisted, but they couldn't make it past six minutes. And about a third were able to reach, wait until that researcher returned. There's something really endearing about this study because even though it was a study that was done with the children, It's documenting an internal conflict that every human knows really well, regardless of our age, am I right? It's documenting that feeling that we have, that we must have whatever it is in front of us right now. Now, most of the time, we can laugh at our impulsive behavior. I want you to just, for a second, think about the last time that you took the first thing that came by, even though you knew that you might be sacrificing something down the road. So for instance, maybe it's that bowl of candy that's at the desk at reception as you walk into the office each day, and you sneak a little piece because you're sneaking it for yourself as well as from the receptionist because you know you're trying to cut down on sugar. Or for instance, I had a friend who really, on an impulse buy, decided to buy a life-size golden statue of a pelican to put in her front entryway, just because she thought it would be fun. Or perhaps it's that extra glass of wine, or that extra indulgence of a meal that we have at a holiday party that we then pay for the next morning. Most of the time, our desire to take that first jolly that we encounter just repays us with maybe a chuckle and a slight shake of the head. And yet there are other times that our desire to feel good now results in a major loss later, not only for ourselves, but also for others. It's perhaps the affair that ended a 30-year marriage. Or maybe it's the public policy that condoned dumping in the local river to the point that it became unusable for the people that relied on it as drinking water. Or maybe it's that hollow feeling that many of us come to experience at a time when we fear that God isn't really speaking to us, isn't really present for us. And so we thrash about spiritually moving, trying to do one practice after another or one book after another we go from church to church doing whatever we can do right now to make god move rather than to just wait in some stillness for god to reply cs lewis sums up this tendency with us within us nicely when he says we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Lewis is echoing the tone that the prophet is using in our scripture passage for today. When our prophet says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? It is God who stands the test of time, who doesn't wither and fade, who doesn't get uprooted, who is more powerful than the most powerful ruler on earth and the most powerful storm you can imagine. So why do we keep putting God on the same level as all of these temporary things, the prophet is asking us? Why do we keep looking for satisfaction from stuff that is here today and gone tomorrow when there is an eternal satisfaction offered to us by God each waking moment? Isaiah continues out this questioning by saying this, No one is God's equal. So lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these temporary things. The same one who calls each one by name. It is because God is great in strength and mighty in power that not one is missing. I love that. I love that last line. It is because of God's great strength and power that not one is missing. Not you, not me, not those that we fear are lost. I love how all of these temporary things, all of these little joys that we experience, God knows that they are joyful because it's God who instilled the joy in them and in us. Candy and little dishes at reception is joyful because it was intended to bring joy to our hearts. Someone crafted that golden pelican statue because it made them smile. And as a result, it makes us smile too. Isaiah isn't saying that every little joy is in opposition to God. Really far from it. Rather, Isaiah is saying that it's important that we don't lose sight of the bigger picture when we are in experiencing joy, when we look for joy. Because in the eternal context of God, we need to be able to make sure that we are not putting candy in a jar on par with God's promises. We can't put the impulse by on the same level as God's love. We can't put that next drink or that next meal over and above God's presence in justice and in hope. So, one of the more interesting things about this marshmallow study. It came about years after they first doled out all of these marshmallows to the kids. As the children in the study grew up, the researchers conducted follow-up studies and tracked their progress in several different areas. What they found was really eye-opening. The children who were willing to wait and to receive that second marshmallow Ended up having higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, lower likelihood of obesity, better responses to stress, better social skills, and generally better scores in a range of other life measures. So it turns out that the ability to wait for something better was critical for their success and for their satisfaction within that success. In our scripture passage for today, Isaiah is saying something really similar. He's saying that that same effect is true for our spiritual life as well. Our ability to place everything in the context of God's eternity is critical if we want to experience a spiritual satisfaction, to be content with our spiritual successes. If God really is who God says God is, then our ability to rely on who God is is the difference between a deep spiritual health and a flimsy kind of faith. So, friends, if we know that building up that resilience, being able, to delay whatever it is that we're looking for until God shows up and provides it. If we know that that is the thing that is going to bring more satisfaction into our lives than our just jumping over to the next thing, trying to appease whatever emotion is plaguing us, how do we build that? How do we build the kind of faith that can wait on God? There are three ways that, People have, are trained to be able to wait better, to be more patient. So let me just give you those three ways really quickly, and then we're done. The first way that we can build our patience, that we can build our capacity of wait, to wait, and we can build that satisfaction within our lives, is to start incredibly small. So whatever it is that we are trying to do, if we are maybe wanting to pray more so that we could be closer to God. Our goal is not just to pray more then. The goal that we craft for ourselves is to pray for just one minute a day. Or maybe we want to be someone who is better in service, in meeting the needs of the people around us. Rather than having our goal to be going to Habitat for Humanity and immediately building a house, Our first goal is to just make one phone call to someone in the week who we know can help us or join us with that task. Perhaps you're someone who wants to know your Bible better. Maybe instead of the goal being that we read our Bible in a year, which is a great goal. Instead, why don't we start with saying that our goal is to read one verse today? So that's the first way that we can do this. It's interesting, after the the traditional service, John Reynolds came to me and he has been a person long active in the recovery community. And he said, you know what? He said, that's true. You can't start, you can't think beyond today. If you're going to build satisfaction, if you're going to build your ability to be patient, you have to just think of today. And if I could get through today, I could get through whatever, was going to come the next day. And I believe he just celebrated over 20 years of sobriety this last week. Um, So that's the first way. We start incredibly small. The second way is what's called the Seinfeld strategy. Have any of you heard about this? So there was this man named Brad Isaac. He's a comedian, and when he was young, he had the opportunity to ask Jerry Seinfeld if he had any tips for a young comic. And so Seinfeld said that the way to become a better comic was to write better jokes. And the way to write better jokes was to write every day. He told Isaac to get a big wall calendar that had the whole year on one page and to hang it on a prominent wall. And then he said the next step was to get a big red marker. And for each day, Seinfeld said, that I would do my task of writing, I would do a big red X on that day. And he said, after a few days, I had a chain. And then I realized I just wanted to keep that chain growing. So he said to Isaac, your job is to not break the chain, to just do it every day. He didn't say anything about the results. He didn't say anything about motivation. He didn't matter whether he was writing great jokes or not, and it didn't matter if what he was working on was going to end up in whatever show he was doing or stand-up routine he was crafting. It had nothing to do with that. All that mattered was not breaking the chain. One small step every single day. So the first one is, Make the step small. The second one is to increase our capacity to be patient, to be waiting on God, is to be consistent. What is it that we're waiting for? Let's mark it. Let's make sure that we're following it. The third way is to find a way to get started in less than two minutes. So if your goal is studying the Bible, maybe instead of that being the goal, we get even smaller and we say, our goal now is just to open my Bible. Or maybe if our goal is to find a way to serve others, maybe then the the way that we get started in less than two minutes is finding our work gloves and setting them out so that we can get them easily. Or perhaps if our goal is to be praying more, then we shift that from being praying more into saying a three-word prayer right now. God, I love you. God, I need help. God, where are you? God, I am here. If we want to experience that ability to wait and knowing that God is going to come and meet us, to pause from grabbing whatever that next thing is that we are sure is going to make us feel better and know that there is something better at hand, Then we have to start building and exercising that muscle of patience and waiting. If we want to experience the deep wonder and spiritual satisfaction that comes with knowing what it means to attend a holiday at the sea, then we have to start changing the way that we perceive and receive the mud that's in the slum. Friends, God has something more satisfying, not just far off in heaven, but for us here right now. God has something more satisfying for us. Are we able to wait and receive it? Amen.